Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. At twilightzoneradio.com. This copyrighted radio series is produced and directed by Carl Amari and Roger Wolski for Falcon Picture Group. Doug James speaking. You're listening to KCAA, Loma Linda, California. The best station in the nation. What does the word Prozac say to you? Or Viagra? Yes, they're brand names for widely used prescription drugs, but how did they get those names? Believe it or not, there is a naming industry. It consists of consulting firms that specialize in the art, science, and voodoo of helping pharmaceutical giants come up with monikers that supposedly will sear themselves into the public psyche, subliminally causing consumers to feel positive about the product and demand that particular drug. Sound hokey? Be your own judge. The consultants, who get paid up to $500,000 per drug name, insist that letters are imbued with psychological meaning, P. T and K, they claim, convey effectiveness. Z is speed, X is scientific, and L is calming. Take the antidepressant Prozac, the honcho of Namebase, the branding firm that worked with Eli Lilly to name this drug, can get all worked up about the impact of just the first syllable. Pro, he explains to an AP reporter, makes the speaker pucker up and push out a burst of air which grabs attention and implies effectiveness. Hmm, would that burst of positiveness also apply to profane, profligate, procrastinate, promiscuous, and other pro-words with negative meanings? But I'm not a naming consultant, so who am I to question? Let's move on to Viagra. Anthony Shore, who is global director of naming for another branding firm, informs us that this appellation is all about power, causing gullible consumers to associate the product with Niagara Falls. On the other hand, another erectile dysfunction drug named Cialis is more of a metro male term. Shore says that it is a smooth, fluid sound that conveys a sense of intimacy. This is Jim Hightower saying, The word that comes to mind when I hear such claims by high-paid consultants is claptrap, conveying artifice, humbuggery, and a deep sense of being had. Southern California's Inland Talk Express is KCAA. The Brian Blue Show is a funny, fair, and balanced new talk show tackling the topics your friends can't stop debating. With our fascinating expert and A-list celebrity guests, you never know what can happen on The Brian Blue Show or who will stop by. 
Check us out every Tuesday at 6 p.m. right here on KCAA Radio. That's 1050 a.m. and 106.5 FM, the stations that leave no listener behind. Mark, why the jingle bells? Christmas is five to six months away. Oh, but not for the children of Loma Linda University Children's Hospital. They're having Christmas in July. Brought to you by the Sons of the American Legion Squadron 155 and proudly sponsored by KCAA. See, some of these kids are undergoing treatment and they've been bedridden for weeks. Many are terminally ill. The goal is to get everyone involved to help bring smiles and hope to the children at Loma Linda Children's Hospital. Wow, sounds awesome. How can I help? It is awesome. And you can call 909-227-4849 to find out how to join in the fun and in the giving. 909-227-4849. That's 909-227-4849. It's the ninth annual Christmas in July motorcycle run and car show, Sunday, July 17th from 9 to noon. Brought to you by the Sons of the American Legion Squadron 155 and proudly sponsored by KCAA. Does your basement or crawl space have a damp, musty smell? Well, watch out. That's a sign of too much moisture and not enough ventilation. And that can mean increased mold growth and the buildup of harmful toxins and gases. Don't bother with a dehumidifier. It just circulates the same unhealthy air. Now there's a better way to remove these dangers and odors. It's with the computerized wave ventilation unit that reduces moisture and expels pollutants. We replaced our old dehumidifier with the wave unit, and in only three weeks, our basement is dry and the musty smell is is gone. Wave ventilation requires no maintenance, no buckets of water or filters, and costs only pennies a day to run. Breathe better, live healthier with an affordable, no-maintenance wave ventilation unit. Call 888-618-WAVE, 888-618-WAVE, or visit MyDryHome.com, MyDryHome.com. Ride the wave, wave home solutions for a healthy, comfortable home. Join Tom Hartman as he talks back to radio weekdays from 4 to 6 on KCAA, 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. Your voice, your opinions, heard round the world at www.kcaaradio.com. The station that leaves no listener behind, KCAA. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. Today, if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to talk about fatherhood today. The title, Some Distinctions of a Good Father. Now, I had, I had a hard time with, with the title, whether it was going to be a good father or a godly father. Well, you need to be a godly father, certainly. Every, every man who has children needs to be a godly father. Because we need to be able to share God with our children. I want to start this with a little story, a story that I read. One evening in a section of Chicago, a drunken father gave his young son a dollar and sent him to buy something at the store. But somehow as the boy traveled along, as he, as he went along to the store, he lost the money. He was very frightened because he knew what would happen to him if he came home empty-handed. His drunken father certainly would be very angry, and he was also abusive. A kind man saw the boy standing shivering in a doorway, and he said, What's wrong? And the boy explained his predicament to the man, who in turn gave him the dollar he needed. 
The boy thanked the stranger and headed off towards the store. But suddenly he turned around looking at the man and he said, I wished you was my father. That's a sad day. You see, you just had a glimpse of the difference that it makes for a person who has given his heart to God rather than being in bondage to alcohol or any other thing. It just happened to be alcohol in this story. Our scripture for today is found in Luke chapter 15. The whole story begins in the 11th verse through the end of the chapter, verse 32. But let me just see if I can summarize the first part of it for you. There was a man who had two sons. He had two, he had two boys and and the younger of the two boys decided that it was time for him to start making his own decisions and to live on his own. So he told his father, he said, give me my part of the inheritance. Let me, let me have what, what's coming to me. And so he took the money, he took what he had received, and he left, he moved away, moved out of home, you know, and he moved away, moved into a foreign, into a foreign place, a place that was foreign to him. And there he began to have fun, what he thought was fun. And the Bible tells us that he spent it all on harlots, on, on lustful living, on alcohol, on drink, whatever it was. And finally, uh, it, it became a difficult time. The economy was down, to say the least. And so he had no, he had no money, he had no means of making money. So he went and he found him a farmer in the area and he asked him for a job. And so the farmer said, okay. Good job for a young Jewish boy is to feed pigs. And it says that he wasn't surviving very well, so he almost got to the point where he was eating what the pigs were eating. And suddenly he came to himself, verse 17 it says, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And here's where the good part of the story starts. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came, he drew, uh, drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to the one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And the other son was angry and would not go in. So his father came out and entreated him, or invited him, or encouraged him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, and has killed for him the fatted calf, and he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. 
it was meet, it was meet, it's a good thing that we should make merry or celebrate and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now I want you to notice some things about this good father. This good father, this godly father. I know that some of you are thinking, well, that's a good evangelistic message, but I want us to look at the father today and see what it has to say. First of all, the scripture tells us that here was a man of compassion. Here was a man of compassion. It says, when he saw him, that he had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. He had compassion for, for this young son. His love would not allow him the convenience of giving up hope. He, he hadn't given up hope. He was depending on the fact that one day his son would come home and that same love was unwilling to wait. He was unwilling to wait for his son to come and beg for forgiveness. At this point in the story, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. That was in the past. There was something going to happen and he knew that it was going to be a good thing when he saw his son coming. So he didn't wait for him. He was motivated by his love to run to his son and to receive him even while he was away from the house. Now, the others looked upon the son scornfully, you know. I'm, I'm sure that the other servants were saying, now, wait a minute, wait, what is going on? Just like the brother. The brother was angry. He was angry. He was upset. Father, what are you doing? It's like you're saying it's okay for him to do that, and it's not okay. That wasn't what the father was saying at all. What he was saying is, look, I lost my son. He was gone. I really think that this man thought his son was dead, but he still wouldn't give up hope because he didn't have the evidence. And so he wouldn't give up hope. And so when he saw him coming, he ran out of his love for his young son to receive him back. The second thing I want you to notice that it teaches us is about his faith. About his faith. Notice that this father had faith to believe that because he had done the best that he could to teach his son right from wrong, that the son would eventually come to his senses. And by the way, that's, that's the sense of what the Scripture tells us. All of a sudden, the light bulb came on and it dawned on him that there was a place where he could go, a place where, where he could be cared for, a place where he could do better than what he was doing now. And he saw, he came to his senses. And this father believed because he had taught him the difference between right and wrong as a child that he would eventually realize his fault and come back. The Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. You know what? That's a promise of God. We have to do our part, parents, fathers and mothers. We have to do our part. We have to teach them the truth. That's why it is so critical to teach your children the Word of God. It's critical for you to have your children in the Lord's house to hear the Word of God. Now, you say, well, preacher, if I'm going to teach them at home the Word of God, then why is it necessary to go to church? Because what you say needs verification. I always love it whenever I invite some preacher to come in and to preach. Maybe I'm going to be out or maybe it's just somebody coming through and I invite them to come preach and they stand up here and they preach the same thing that I preach. Because then I can stand up and turn around and look at y'all and say, I told you so. <laughs> Listen, that's what's important. 
If you teach them the Word of God, then when you bring them to Sunday school, when you bring them into the worship service and they hear the same thing, oh, it's not just what mom and daddy say. Because you know, if you say it, they're going to say, mm, I don't like it. Come on. Amen. Yeah, they're going to say, I don't like it because they don't want to do what you tell them to do. Let me tell you a story. Pastoring in one of the previous churches, not here, by the way, had a young woman come to me. She said, I need to talk to you, preacher. Okay. She came to the office and, and sat down and she said, I want to go to such and so party, whatever. I don't remember what it was. Maybe, maybe it was uh, something at school. I don't know. But anyway, it's a place she didn't need to be. And she said, I want to go and my mama won't let me. Help me convince her that it's okay for me to go. She said, what do you think? And I said, I think you need to honor your mother. You never go wrong honoring your mother. That's what the Bible says. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth. What does that mean? To give yourself long life. That's what that means. To give yourself long life. Now, how long? That's up to God. But here was a man who had faith and he had trained his child. He believed in what he had taught his child. And he believed that eventually it would all come back to him and that it would be right the next time around. Now, folks, I believe that I believe that it was his faith that caused him to look. Now, I think it's interesting. It's always interesting to me to read this story because Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here was a man that was, uh, he was busy. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't just sitting around doing nothing. He was a busy man, but he always kept his eye on the lane to the house hoping to see that son coming down that lane. And he believed, he believed with all of his heart that he would. And his faith caused him to wait with anticipation. He Listen, folks, I want to tell you something. When he saw that boy, he could not contain himself. He went and he ran to his son. Number three, number three, I want you to notice the third thing that he has, and that's forgiveness. Now, as, as important as the son's confession was to, to his own personal character development, and I think that it was necessary that he say what he said for his own personal development, for his own personal character development. And I think it was important that he do that to help heal their relationship. But I want to tell you something. That forgiveness had already begun in that father's heart long before this time. To be honest, that father had already been dreaming of the day that his son would come home 
And he had already been thinking in his mind what he was going to say and what he was going to do. Tell me that's not true. That's true. You know it is. Every one of us have wondered what our children were doing at a particular time. And by the way, one of mine is sitting right over there. We wondered what they were doing at a particular time, concerned and compassionate and loving and and already thinking about, you know, they really need a good hard chewing out, but I just can't do it right now. Forgiveness. Forgiveness began in his heart very early. And I want you to notice that the point is not that he came back home to live, but that he came to the one against whom he had sinned, and he confessed, and he found forgiveness. Now, who is it that you sin against every day? I want to tell you something. That father, likewise, is waiting with open arms for you to come. For you to come. For you to repent. That's what it means. That's what this boy did. He went one way and it was the wrong way and he turned around and he came back and went the right way. Went back to God is what he did. And forgiveness was found. Number four, restoration. Restoration. Now I want you to notice the depth of this father's love and the depth of his faith and the depth of his forgiveness because when his son got there, immediately he was restored. He was restored. Now I want to tell you something about our God. He restores you immediately when you come to Him in faith, come to Him in repentance, come to Him believing in His Son, Jesus Christ. The Scripture tells us that, that the Father hugged Him, He kissed Him, He gave Him new clothes, He gave Him new shoes, He gave Him new jewelry, and He gave Him a party to celebrate. He restored him. Now listen, he restored him not to the position of slave or servant. He restored him to the position of sonship. He was his son all along and he was his son again and he wasn't going to demean him and put him back and put him away and make him live out in the servants' quarters. He moved him back into the house. That's restoration. Now the fifth thing I want you to see about this man was wisdom. There are at least two places where this father demonstrated great wisdom. Despite the fact that the son was a young man who turned out to be rather irresponsible, the father had come to the place in his teaching and his instruction that he had come to that conclusion, and, and parents, this is a hard conclusion to come to, come to that conclusion that it was time for this young man to be able to make his own decisions, to live on his own, and pay the consequences of his bad decisions all at the same time. He had been wise enough. What do we call it? You kick him out of the nest, you know? I've, I've watched mother birds do that, by the way, and it's really interesting because the baby don't want to go, and so she just goes... <laughs> you know? Get him on the edge and then kick him off the edge. But he had come to the conclusion, he, had, he was wise enough to see that it was time for this young man to become accountable for his own actions. The time had come when the father who had wisely taught his son had to allow him to experience life. In other words, he was saying, okay, look, I've invested all of this time in you, and I've done my very best to teach you the ways of God and the things that you need to be doing, the way to live life, to have good character, and to be the right kind of person, to be respected by other people. And I've done all of that now here. You go out there and prove it. You go out there and prove it. Well, he was young and 
as a lot of young people do, he made some mistakes, but he came to his senses. Listen, fathers, I want to tell you something. You must always, always be on your best behavior because your children are watching you and your children are listening to you. By the way, they'll repeat whatever they hear. And your children are learning from you. You say, well, I'm not a teacher. Yeah, you are. You're a teacher. You're, we're all teachers. And, every, and, and, and others are looking at us so that they could learn. A second thing, he acted with wisdom in doing what he knew to be right rather than bowing to the pressure of others. You see, he was a wise man. There would, there would be those who would come to give him counsel. Look, you're making a mistake. You need to let this young man learn from his, from his mistakes. You need to let this young man be put away somewhere else for a period of time. He doesn't need to be restored like that. But here was a man who was not even willing to listen to the pressure of society or even, even his older son. That son was angry. But he taught him both a valuable lesson by his actions. Proverbs 15, verse 1, the Scripture says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The Scripture that we read to the children a while ago about a father not provoking their children to anger. The King James uses the word wrath. Don't provoke your children to anger. In other words, be careful to know. Be careful to listen to God and know where the balance is so that you know how far to go in your, in your disciplinary actions. Because the children always carefully observe the actions of their parents, by the way, and other adults for the purpose of learning the right way to live well or the wrong way to live. Folks, I think what we see here is a man with God-likeness. He was a good man. He was a good father. He was a godly father. He showed compassion. He, showed, he demonstrated faith. He granted forgiveness. He provided restoration. And listen, that's not something that's easy to come by person generally has to earn when trust is broken. A person has to earn that trust back. And finally, he acted with wisdom. Several years ago, a minister felt impressed to close his sermon saying these words, if there is someone here that is sick of sin and wants us to pray for you, raise your hand. And immediately a young man jumped to his feet and he said, pray for me, sir. I am sick and tired of sin. The minister later learned that the young man had been homeless for eight years. So he encouraged him to write home and to tell his parents what he had done, that he had accepted Christ. And after several days of anxious waiting, a letter came in the mail for him from his mother. But it was bordered with black. And with tear-dimmed eyes, the young man read, My dear son, the joy which your letter brought to our hearts was only exceeded by the sadness which was there at the same time. For as nearly as we can figure, the same hour that you found Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Father was going out into the skies. All day long He tossed upon His bed. Every little while He would cry out in misery, Oh God, save my poor wandering boy today. The mother said we would try to divert his attention from your waywardness and sin. But his mind would roam from place to place and 
he would cry out in sorrow, Oh God, save my poor, wandering, wayward boy today. Just as he passed away, he cried, Oh God, save. And the mother said, and he finished the prayer in the presence of Jesus. The postscript said, You are a Christian tonight because your father would not let God go. <laughs> Wouldn't let go of God. Hung on. Prayed. Cried. And waited for an answer. I think it was probably interesting. I, I, I like to conclude that story. I think it was probably interesting because just as Father arrived in heaven, there was rejoicing in the presence of the angels. <laughs> Amen. Who's it for? It's for your boy. It's for your boy. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for every father that's in this place today. And dear God, I pray that you will help us to have the courage. God, help us to have the courage to make our stand and make it in Jesus today. I pray if there's a single father here today who's not ever come to Christ, that today would be the day. Remind us once again, Father, that our children are learning from us and they need to know how to come to God and let us be the ones to lead them. Oh, Father, speak to our hearts today. Be with those who need to make other commitments. Lord, you know what they are. And Father, give them courage. Give them the faith to believe and the courage to follow Jesus wherever he, go, wherever he would lead. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. Four passages of Scripture today, so we're just going to jump right in. We're going to run right along, okay? We're going to start with John chapter 6. We're going to begin in John chapter 6. You know, when we come to church, we like to be what I call fluffed. You like to be fluffed? Everybody likes to be fluffed a little bit. We enjoy hearing about the love of God, and we like to be encouraged in our times of difficulty, and we, we want the preacher to tell us how valuable and good we are. We like to be reminded that Jesus did die in our place, which he did, and, and that he paid the price for our sins, and that we're totally forgiven, that we're totally set free, and that when God looks at us, he sees us as, as perfect, okay, as perfect. You know, I've discovered that by the fluffing people, you can build churches. Y'all notice that? Do you ever watch any of these preachers on TV? They tell you all the good stuff, tell you how to get rich. Send them some money and you'll get rich. Amen. Don't send me any money. You won't get rich from sending me money. I'll tell you that for sure. But God will provide for you as you give unto the work of the Lord. But sometimes, sometimes there, there comes a time when we need to be rebuked. That's a, that's a good Bible word, rebuke. Rebuke and reproof are bitter pills, and we don't like it very much. We don't like to hear anybody talk about our sins. Okay, We don't want to hear about that. Somebody say amen, please. We don't want to hear about our sins. Well, you know, we don't even call them sins anymore. We call them mistakes. Is a sin a mistake? No, it's a choice. Okay, it's a choice. We like to talk about our failures. Well, we don't want anybody to know we fail, but we like to talk about them as failures or maybe shortcomings. That's a good word for sin, and it's our it's our shortcomings. In other words, it's what we do, but we can't help it. 
If it's a shortcoming, that's what that means, right? Or, or maybe we call them misconceptions, but sometimes it's necessary for the Lord to use these tools. What tools? Rebuke and reproof to teach us the ways of the Christian life. And that's our subject today is the way of the Christian life. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I charge thee therefore before God, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, listen, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now listen, that was back in the olden days, uh, back in way before the olden days, whenever Paul wrote those words. You see, it was important and necessary even in those days to reprove and rebuke and certainly to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Paul wrote to Titus and he said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. Now that denying doesn't mean that we deny that it's a reality. It means that we denied any effect in our personal lives. So he says, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now listen, I want to tell you something. You need to know something today. What you need to know that this is the will of God. It is God's will that you live your life soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people. Dr. Daniel Scott said we, we're funny folk. We're funny folk in a good way. We're peculiar. He says that He might redeem for Himself a peculiar people. And going on, he says that He gave Himself for us to purify unto himself peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zealous, that means driven towards good works. And then he goes on to finish this way. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Folks, today I want you to notice four instances of rebuke and the way of the Christian life. Now, I'm not rebuking you today, but the Lord is rebuking those in these lessons that we have beginning in John chapter 6. We're going to notice, first of all, the rebuke of the food followers. This is the rebuke of the food followers. John chapter 6, look beginning in verse 25. He said, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Eat of the loaves and we're filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. 
Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. Okay, now here's what they're saying. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread. See, they were making reference to Moses there. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So the first thing he's doing, he's rebuking. If you notice there beginning there in verse 26, how he rebuked them, he rebuked them, and he called them the, the food followers. Now, Jesus rebuked those who had just been a party. They, they had just been a part of seeing the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. And so the rebuke was given because he perceived that in, in their hearts they were not following him because of faith in him. They were not following him because they believed in him. They were following him because of his power to feed them. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. There's a lot of folks like that. Brother Ron brought it up this morning. Instead of feeding them, he said, we need to give them the Word of God. And that's true. And that's what Jesus always did was to give them the Word of God. Now, He did take care of their personal needs. I, I think it's very interesting that He always preached first and fed later. Amen? He always preached first and fed later. What you'll discover, if you feed first and preach later, they'll stay for the meal and leave for the preaching. Sometimes on Wednesday night, people will show up and they'll eat and they'll take off. Now, I don't know why y'all took me off on that note, but... Listen, we need to come to understand and realize that the reason that we're here is because of Jesus, not because of the food. Not because of what He can do for us in other ways, and certainly He can. All they were interested in was the food, and they didn't seem to even care where it came from. I want you to notice how Jesus attempted to clear up their seeming misconception about the source of the manna in the wilderness. They were, they were saying Moses provided it. Listen, but he offered them the opportunity here to believe in him. Folks, I want to tell you something. In every culture, in every age of history, there have always been those who will become followers of whomever or whatever just for the handouts and freebies. Just for the handouts and freebies. God says that's not the way of the Lord. They'll sell their, they'll sell their birthright for a mess of pottage. Literally, you know. I don't care what else happens. I don't need that thing if I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> That's what Esau said. He said, if I'm going to die anyway, I'm not going to need that birthright. So here, take the birthright. Just give me some of that some of that soup. Just give me some of that chili that you made there. But I want you to remember that in response to their question about the works of God, and they ask about that, about the works of God, Jesus said that the work of God is to believe on Him in whom he hath sent. Believe in him whom he hath sent. What's he talking about? He said, don't, don't worry about the food problem. Think about your eternal problem. And your eternal problem 
has to do with whether or not you believe in the one that God sent, and the one that God sent is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of your own good works, he says. He says, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the first part of the way of the Christian life is faith. Faith. Don't be a food follower, but believe in Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want you to notice found over in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. And this is the rebuke of the sign seekers. The rebuke of the sign seekers. Beginning in verse 1, Matthew 16. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now I want you to notice, you don't, don't overlook that word, and tempting, and tempting. They came, who is it? The Pharisees and Sadducees. They didn't believe in Jesus, but they came tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them, and he departed. In this instance, Jesus rebuked those who were seeking a sign because they were not seeking the truth. They were seeking a sign, and it was because they weren't seeking the truth. Listen, if they had just believed in Jesus, if they had just come to Jesus in faith, they wouldn't have needed a sign. You know, there's a lot of folks today that are looking for a sign. You know, I, I, if Jesus would just appear to me, I'd believe in Him. Well, get ready. He's not going to. He's not going to. They're not, And Abraham's not going to send, send uh, somebody back from the dead to... Talk to all of your brothers and sisters about Jesus. He's not going to do that. He, oh, oh, please send him back so that they would believe. They're not going to believe. Listen, these guys weren't intending to believe. They had a preconceived opinion about Jesus that he was not the Christ, that he was not the Messiah, and no sign that he did was really going to change that. They asked for a sign only as an opportunity to trap him, hoping that he would fail. In other words, okay, show us a sign. And they were hoping that he would make an attempt at something and that he would fail. Well, the first thing is that if he makes an attempt at something, he's not going to fail. You can be sure of that. But you see, Jesus knew more about them than they did of themselves because he knew what was going on in their hearts. And he knew it wasn't the same thing that was coming out of their mouths. They weren't saying, do this sign so that we'll believe. They were saying, do this sign so that you'll fail and we can condemn you as a fake. Folks, I want to tell you something. We live in a society of sign seekers. They don't want to follow Jesus by faith. They want proof. They want proof. Well, let me tell you something. The way of the Lord is not by proof. The way of the Lord is by faith. It always has been. It always will be. That's the way the Lord works. That's the way He intends it to be. The, the, the good thing about that is faith is so much easier. It's so much easier. 
It, listen, I want to tell you something. It's easier to believe in the creation story of the Bible than it is to believe in evolution. Did you know that? For one thing, you only have to go back less than 10,000 years. <laughs> I mean, anybody been here since the beginning of time? What about prehistorically? My wife and I, we laugh every time we hear the word prehistoric. What's prehistoric mean? It means before history. Is there anything that happened before history? No, if it's happened, it's history, right? Even if it's dinosaurs and whatever you believe about that, it's still part of history. They were looking for, they were looking for a sign. But following the rebuke that Jesus gave to these sign seekers, Jesus turned and renewed the faith of his disciples and he posed to them, posed to them a question that's found later in the Later in this chapter, in the 16th chapter, in the 13th through the 16th verses, Jesus asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said unto them, Now listen, Jesus says this to every human being, to every person. He says, But whom say ye that I am? And my question I pose to you today, are you a sign seeker? If you're a sign seeker, I'm going to pose to you a question today. Who do you think Jesus is? And your answer better be just like Peter's. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That word Christ is the Messiah. That word means Savior. It means the one who was prophesied of and the one who is sent to save us from our sins. Folks, in order for any sign ever to be of any benefit, there must be no preconception. There must be an, an honest desire to know the truth. Folks, those sign seekers were held in bondage. They were held in bondage to their own preconceptions about the Messiah and what He would be like. But the truth is what sets men free. John eight thirty two. Jesus says it. Ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So the second part of the way of the Christian life is truth. Now the third part found over in Luke, over in the book of Luke, chapter 14, beginning in verse 7, this is the rebuke of the place pickers. The rebuke of the place pickers. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out of the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lower room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This is the rebuke of the place pickers. You know, whenever you come into a big banquet hall, what do you do? What do you do? What do you think about when you come to the big banquet hall? You come in and maybe there's a maybe there's a marriage supper going on and, and, and you've been invited and you come in and, and you go in and you think, well, this looks like a good place. Maybe you get there before anybody else. 
well, this looks like a good place, and you go over there and you sit down in that nice place, and then a little bit somebody comes in and picks up this place marker that you can't see and turns it around, points it to you, and it says, Bride. Now, that would be really embarrassing for a guy like myself. For you ladies, it might say, Groom. And you know you're in the wrong place. So the best thing to do is wait until everybody gets there, right? Wait until everybody gets there and wait until they go and sit down and then you'll know where you're supposed to be unless there's a place marker that says Brody. That's me, by the way. Brody. Brother David. Dr. Jackson gave me that title, didn't he? Brody. You see, we need to, we need to come to understand that humility is always the best approach. Humble yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. You know, let, let others put you in that place. And instead of taking the best seat and being embarrassed, take the seat to the rear or on the bottom floor, and then if you're supposed to be somewhere else, they will come and get you. You know, that happened to me one time. We were on vacation. We went off to Oklahoma. And Scott got sick, so we had to come home. Well, I already had somebody scheduled to preach for me, and there was a preacher friend of mine that I thought, well, I sure would like to go hear him preach. So Pat stayed home with Scott, and I went over to hear Reverend Adams preach. Reverend Adams is a black preacher who pastors a probably a fully, completely black congregation. And I went over to see him. He and I had become good friends through our association and so on and so forth. And so I went over to see him. When I pulled up into the parking lot, there was a young man with a long sleeve white shirt on, black trousers, dressed up. And he came to me, and I rolled down the window. Didn't know what he was going to do. Rolled down the window, and he said, you park right here, right next to the building, probably right next to the pastor's car. He said, you park right here. And I said, can you tell me where Reverend Adams is? He says, he's right through that door. And so when I got out of my truck, I walked over and went through that door. Well, they were in class. And he looked at me and he said, welcome, brother. Why have you come here today? And I said, well, I want to come here. You preach. He said, no, sir. He said, you're preaching today. I said, no, no, no. Wait a minute. I said, I came to hear you preach. And he said, no, sir, you're preaching today. And he turned to his son. And he said, Reverend Adams, he said, you put yours on hold. Because this brother's going to preach for us today. Well, we waited until 12 o'clock to go in. He kept me back in the back. They were singing and they were taking up offerings and they were praying. And finally at 12 o'clock, he said, now it's time. And we walked into the auditorium. First time I'd ever been in there. Walked into the auditorium. He had a, he had a pulpit about this tall. <laughs> Picture that. Tall man. We walked into that auditorium and there were three chairs. Two Medium height chairs and one high back chair with arm looked like a throne. Really did. And we walked in. I followed him in and he said, sit. Well, I did. I went over here and I sat down in this low back chair. And he turned and looked at me and he said, no, sir. You sit in this chair. You're our honored guest today. You see, I sat in the low chair, the other chair. But he wanted me to sit in that chair. And folks, I want to tell you something. I promptly got up and moved. Well, consider yourself blessed today because that day we got out of church at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and we won't be here past 1 today, I promise. The third part of the way of the Christian life is humility. 
humility. And the fourth is the rebuke. This is the rebuke of the throne takers. Matthew chapter 20. Over in the book of Matthew in the 20th chapter. The rebuke of the throne takers. Listen beginning in verse 20. Chapter 20 verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children and her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. He said, I don't make that decision. I don't make that decision. Here we find a mother, a loving mother, who wanted only the very best for her, for her boys. She sought what she thought was the best. She thought, well, if Jesus is truly the Messiah, like, like He says He is, it couldn't hurt to ask that they be considered for rank in the kingdom. What could it hurt to ask? Uh, of course, we need to not forget that the Jews believed that Messiah would come and set up an earthly kingdom. She was thinking that He was going to be a king on an earthly throne and there would be an earthly kingdom. And so she was just asking for a special rank and a special place for her two sons. I mean, after all, did they not deserve it? They had followed Him all through His ministry here on earth. They had put up with stuff that nobody ought to have to put up with, but they did and they were there. And so she was just asking if they could have a special place in the kingdom. But that's the reason Jesus asked James and John. I think it's very probing and very appropriate. He said, well, okay, let's take a look at this. Do you really think that's what you want? Do you really think that's what you want? He said, are you willing to drink of the cup that I must drink of? Now, now I hope you understand the cup that he was talking about. It's the same one that he prayed about in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What is that cup? That cup is the cup of God's wrath for our sin. Now, I want to tell you something. The cross was not a happy place. You know, we, we see all these beautiful crosses. We see we wear crosses and, and, and we see them everywhere, these beautiful crosses. I want to tell you something. His cross was not like that. His cross was rugged and, and splintery and His cross was covered with blood. Literally covered with His blood. And so what He was asking was, are you sure? Are you really sure this is what you want? Because if this is what you want, then you're going to have to go where I go. And then He turned around and said, no matter, you're going there anyway. You're going there. Because of your faith. 
They didn't comprehend that Jesus' kingdom is spiritual. So he went on to explain that the positions of the rank in the kingdom would be left up to the Father. And, and listen, please listen. And that it would be based upon service. It would be based upon service. You wonder whether or not it's worth it to serve the Lord. It is. It is worth it to serve the Lord. He said they would be ranked based on that. And you say, well, preacher, where do you see that? I'm going to read it for you. It's in Matthew 20. It's just a few verses over. Beginning in verse 26 through 28, Jesus says, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, when he uses the word minister, he's not talking about a preacher. He's talking about somebody that serves somebody else, a servant, somebody who's willing to minister to the needs of others, who's willing to care, who's willing to pray, who's willing to be available, always, always someone who is willing to love someone else. So another part of the way of the Christian life is service. Okay, so our subject today has been the way of the Christian life. And we've learned about the true way through Jesus' rebuke of the false way. In other words, what Jesus is saying, okay, you've got all of these, all of these different things going on, and he says, this is not it, and this is not it, and this is not it, and this is not it. But the way of the Christian life is faith and truth and humility and service. In the 2006 and 2007 school year, God entrusted to us a young Turkish Muslim. He thought he came to America to be an exchange student and to get some education here. But he really came to hear the gospel. That's the reason he was here. The whole reason he was here was to hear the gospel. When he heard the message of Christ, he said something very convicting. He said, your Christ I like. It's your Christians I don't like. Before he left us, he testified that he had believed in Christ. But he left us a point that was very clear. And that is this, that many Christians don't do a very good job living for Christ. What did he see? He saw people being one way on Sunday at the church house and being a different way Monday through Saturday at school or at work or at the grocery store or the gas station or somewhere else. That's very convicting to me. You see, you have to have faith in Christ. And to have faith in Christ means to follow Him. To follow Him with everything that's in you. And that's so that when you come to the end of your earthly life, as we talked to the little children about a while ago, you might hear the words. The words of the Lord Jesus. They're in red letters in my Bible. Matthew 25, 21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now listen. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, doesn't mean you're always going to have joy and always going to have happiness, 
throughout your life, you can always find that joy because it, that joy, the source of that joy is, is faith in God and living for God and knowing that you're serving God. That's, that's where that, that's the source of that joy. But there's going to be times when there's going to be struggles. There's going to be difficulties. And folks, I want you to know that it's only a short time. It's only a short time. If you live to be an old person, it's only a short time. But we're talking about for eternity. And I want to tell you something. There won't be any struggles. There won't be any sin. There won't be any problems or difficulties. won't be any sickness. won't be any death. won't be any hurt. No pain. When we get to heaven, bless the Lord. Just bless the Lord. Father, thank You for the day. Thank You, Lord, that sometimes You teach us positive things through rebuke. You teach us good things and righteous things through discipline. And dear Father, I thank You for the Word of the Lord that, that shows us that sometimes we get to following the wrong thing. We get to doing the wrong thing, maybe even for the right reason, because we're not paying attention. And so Lord, help us to be reminded that we must always in this earthly life, pay attention because the old devil is as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's waiting for us to drop our guard so that he might destroy us. And Father, we know that he's more interested in Christians than he is in anybody else because if he can destroy our witness, he's won the battle. So Lord, help us to be faithful, help us to be strong, help us to pray, help us to read, help us to study, help us to follow, help us to be humble and allow you to take control and help us, Father, to serve you with all of our hearts. Now, Lord, I pray you'll speak to us today. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know Christ and the forgiveness of sin, I pray that somehow or another today you might have revealed to that person the truth and the reality that the only way to know that you have eternal life is through faith in Christ. And dear Father, I pray you speak to Christians today. Dear Lord, I pray you'll challenge us. Uh, Father, we, we're, we're always up for a challenge. Challenge us today, Lord, to be servants of Almighty God and to be servants of our fellow man, that it might be done for the praise and the glory of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. To listen to the service at any time, go to the KCAA Sunday schedule and click the podcast link under the image of Pastor McNary. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yucaipa. This is InfoTrack. 
the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Do bullies win in life over nice kids? An educational psychologist says despite our dog-eat-dog world, nice kids do finish first. We're so quick when our kids come home from school to say, how'd you do on that test? We don't ask nearly enough of, you know, what kind of thing did you do? Or what did you see today that made a difference in somebody's life? Then, can computer science help you make better decisions in your daily life? We'll talk to an expert. There's a set of problems that all of us face in everyday life, and we think of these as uniquely human problems, but they're actually not. They correspond to a set of some of the fundamental problems in computer science. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this edition of InfoTrack. Stick around. The show begins right after this. Hey, it's me, your car. No, it's not the voice of your car phone or your GPS that gives you driving directions. I'm sorry to interrupt your tunes, but we need to talk. Take a look around. I'm not the new car I used to be. The season's dirt and mud really did a number on my carpet here. And that iced coffee you spilled, hoo-hoo, that didn't help. And with the rain showers and all, I know it's going to be a real mud bath in here. So do me a favor and get a set of WeatherTech floor liners. Got it? Now, how about a wash in detail? What do you say? WeatherTech floor liners and cargo liners keep your vehicle's carpet safe from spills and messes. Made of the highest quality materials and laser measured, WeatherTech floor liners are specifically designed for your vehicle. And they're made in America. If it could talk, your vehicle would thank you. Order yours today at WeatherTech.com or call 1-800-CARMATS. WeatherTech. Complete protection. Completely American-made. Hey, this is Shaq. When I was playing ball, our team doctors helped me overcome pain with something called TENS therapy. And Icy Hot Smart Relief is that same kind of therapy. You just push a button and whoosh. Smart Relief sends waves of relaxing pulses that immediately start blocking pain. Back, hip, knee, or shoulder pain. Even works for hours after you turn it off. Man, this Smart Relief so smart, they should call it Shaq Relief. Ooh, I like that one. Somebody write that down for me. Turn on Smart Relief and turn off pain. Get my lawyer on the phone. You need to patent that. Use only as directed. If your tires aren't working as hard as you are, they aren't working hard enough. Right now, purchase a set of four eligible Firestone tires and get a $60 Firestone Visa prepaid card by mail. Whatever you drive, drive a Firestone. Offer valid to July 4th. Card expires. Prepaid card is issued by the Bancorp Bank member FDIC. Pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. A renowned educational psychologist and author shows how the selfie syndrome is undermining our kids' success and what parents and teachers can do about it. With the story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. We're joined by Michelle Borba. She has a doctoral degree in education. She's a parenting expert, and now she's the author of Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All-About-Me World. Your book cites many statistics. One of them is that kids today are 40% less empathetic than they were just 30 years ago. Can you explain just what that means and maybe give us a couple of examples? Yes. Well, actually, it's a very scary trend. 
for the last 30 years, incoming college freshmen across different colleges, different zip codes, have been given the same kind of simple little narcissistic inventory. And what they discovered in those 30 years is that there's been a 58% spike in narcissism, a 40% drop in empathy, but the real change hit around the year 2000. So what it means is that Bullying is going to go up. Aggression is going to go up. Racism could be going up. All those things you're seeing in the front page of the newspaper are happening because what holds that together are the seeds of humanity and the seeds of kids getting along, respect and kindness and all those good things are going down. I think many parents would say that their kids are certainly more stressed out and in many cases less happy than the parents were at that age. Do you have any sense of just you know why that is? I'm nodding my head in agreement with them, and research confirms that this is the smartest generation on record, but also the most stressed out generation on record. And when stress builds, empathy also goes down. The reason for that is you've got to dial down your empathy to be in survival mode to take care of yourself. So it causes that empathy gap we're